yeah, we had the same thing. I mean, we haven't really had any like really rad, legit powder days for like three years. And uh, I rode squat a day with a bunch of friends, and it was, yeah, it was really good. Welcome to the F and Rad Snowboarding Podcast. I'm Eric Charlson, and this is our tenth episode. Yeah, I didn't start even riding till I was 65 years old. The first board I ran was this plastic Sims Lonnie Toft with a skate deck. Snowboarding is exactly the same as it used to be. It's just, you know, everybody wants something from it. I don't know if I can endure any more shitty winters. We're going to be okay, you know, and that's all that matters. You can put it away for a while, but you can't put it away forever because it's just almost like a spiritual thing. Modern-day snowboarding evolved in large part due to a close relationship to photos and videos. In the late 80s, snowboard magazines appeared, and by the mid-90s, there was a well-established cycle of progression that was closely tied to snowboarding videos. Unlike today, where we can watch the X Games on a live stream, and where we can see the best snowboarding in the world anytime on our phones, back in the early days, the best riders in the world would film with the best film crews, who would in turn put out the best videos once a year. I remember like 30 people showing up at the boardroom snowboard shop where I worked back then, on the day that we got the new videos. And we'd sit in the shop and watch three or four of them in a row after the store closed, drinking beer. And then there were the heydays of the snowboard movie premieres. Companies would rent theaters and hundreds of snowboarders would gather to be the first to see the latest progression from the previous year. Dave Hatchett was a featured rider in some of the first legitimate snowboarding movies and worked closely with his twin brother Mike on the Totally Bored series of videos that ran for 20 years. I'm older by eight minutes, so we have that kind of crazy twin connection that is, you can probably imagine, but it's, it's just trippy having an identical twin, someone who looks exactly like you and talks like you. It's, just a, it's a pretty unique thing, you know, from a genealogical standpoint. And uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's like just your best friend. I was in Tahoe, and my friend got one of those Sims 1500 FE. It was one of the little, you know, you got maybe three inches of tail, a little swallow tail, fast X buckles. And that was, I think it was 1983. And I I had been skiing a bunch, maybe five or six years in high school, and I I was getting to be a fairly good skier. And my friend had this snowboard, and he's like, we got to check this out. So we just walked up to the top of this little hill in incline, a little 25-degree hill, and I strapped the thing on. And I'm not brag and i'm just saying i strapped this thing on and i just made four perfect turns to the bottom kicked out and i'm like i'm never skiing again it just it just felt like surfing it felt like i had surfed all my life and i just it was such a cool feeling to strap the thing on and just not even fall once and just link four perfect turns and i, I literally have not i've have not put on ski since well that was so that very first year that, that was just my friend alistair who had that snowboard and that was in the spring so then the next year we started hitting um slide mountain allowed boards and boreal and Donner Ski Ranch. So that next year, I went there and got pretty into it. And at that point, I was seeing Terry Kidwell, Sean Palmer, Tom Burt, um, Damian Sanders. Those guys were all going to those resorts at the same time. So we all kind of, it was almost like the first year we were all there. And it was, it was funny. I mean, that was, those were literally like, those were almost all the snowboarders in Tahoe right there that I just mentioned, plus maybe five other guys. Yeah, they're, they're, it's, yeah it's insane. I, mean, just, I remember like, it was, it was pretty sick just going up and seeing Palmer and Kidwell and all those guys. And I was like, wow, these, these, you know, these are like the pro snowboarders. And, but there were so few of us, we all just posted up and started riding together. That was pretty much it. But I, I definitely remember trying to like follow those guys around and seeing what they were doing. It seems like Lake Tahoe is the first place that pro snowboarding gained any traction. 
it kind of was in a way, it was, which is funny because it, it maybe happened there even before, you know, the Pacific Northwest or I, I don't know why. Maybe it's just, just a California thing or whatever, but I feel like yeah, I, I agree. That was almost some of the first pro snowboarding to really to come out ever. It also seems like Terry Kidwell's like the first pro everybody kind of looked up to. Yeah, I mean, I remember, I literally remember this one run where I, when I had first met him and I strapped on that same board I'm talking about at the top of the ski ranch. And this thing didn't even have metal edges running the full length of the base. It had like metal edges halfway and then the little skegs in back, like almost like surfboard fins or something. And I remember saying, oh my God, that's Kidwell. And he had one of those brand new Kidwell round tails. And he strapped it on and I just kind of, I just followed him. I don't think he knew I was behind him. <laughs> I just kind of snuck in behind him. And he was, and he was hitting these like little natural hits on this cat road and he was just tweaking out sick methods just perfect boned out methods and i was like oh my god that's just so insane of course i'd go right behind him and try to do the same thing and follow my ass and then follow him down and he was just i just one thing i remember about him was just his style and his he was just so natural and fluid but like he was just born to snowboard and it was yeah it was incredible to watch him and then yeah it wasn't too much later after that that there you know there was damien and all the other guys doing kind of the same thing um, yeah, I moved here with my family from San Diego. My brother and I grew up as, like, surfer rats down in San Diego, and we were getting in a ton of trouble down there, like, really bad trouble in school. And my dad thought that moving to the mountains would be a good change for us, and he, like, he pretty much saved our lives. I mean, if I wouldn't have got out of San Diego, who knows? I'd probably be, like, a method or whatever. But I, he just got me up here. The second I got up here, I got into skiing and then snowboarding and um, rock climbing, I just started seeing the the value of getting out in the outdoors and enjoying it as opposed to just sitting around smoking weed all day and doing nothing with your life. So definitely a lot of credit to my dad for getting us out of the city. He was an elect- electrical engineer. He made this really cool invention. He invented some of the first underwater cameras that, like, Jacques Cousteau used. Eventually they put a claw on it, and they were able to do some of the first deep water work on, like, oil rigs and stuff. So he's basically at the forefront of that technology of underwater cameras and robotic stuff that works underwater. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, his company was called uh, Hydroproducts. You know, so he was able to retire around 50. He skied, but he wasn't really much of an athlete. He was he was more of a an, an academic and just kind of a smart guy. And he was in the Navy, but I did not have any athletic parents to look up to or get me stoked on you know snowboarding or rock climbing. It was that was just a totally side thing. We did, but I, actually, I started first, like that same that same year that I was talking about when I was seeing Kidwell and Palmer and those guys up there. I got, so Alistair, my buddy, he bought an avalanche board, and so we were trading off between the avalanche and the Sims, and I'll never forget one day I was riding down, and this guy approached me in the parking lot, and it was Chris Sanders, it was Damien Sanders' brother, and he was the owner of Avalanche Snowboards, and he said, hey, you're, you know, what's your name, Dave? Why? And he said, hey, you're riding really, really good, do you, do you know anything about pro snowboarding? And I'm like, not really, I mean, I kind of know a couple of these guys are, and I didn't, I He's like, he's all you really, you know, you ought to think about it. You have like, a, you know, maybe potential. And I'm like, cool. That I said, thanks a lot. And I, it kind of got me stoked, but I didn't really think much of it. And then a couple of days later, we were up riding Donner Ski Ranch. And my buddy took a photo of me jumping off this cliff. And it was, it just came out. It was like really lucky. It was like this perfect day shot. You could just see Avalanche totally perfectly. And I remember I got the slide from my, I got the slide. And then I sent it to Avalanche and I went on a rock climbing trip. And my dad calls me from the rock climbing trip. He's like, Dave, I got really good news. The owner of Avalanche called, and they saw that picture of you that you sent, and they're really stoked, and they want to put you on their team. 
and I was just blown away. I'm like, oh my god, like on a snowboard team, and I think I got, you know, I think I got like a t-shirt and 50% off on a board and a pair of gloves or something. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't anything. I shit, I probably paid for the gloves, but whatever. But it was, it was just the fact of it. I was actually on the snowboard team, and so then all of a sudden I was like on the team with like Damien and and uh, Jim Zellers and Tom Burt and Dan and Nicholson. And then, of course, at that point, I just got super motivated and just did everything I could do to... I mean, I was already just doing it because I loved it. There was no other reason, but it was... It kind of gave me a sense of, I'm like, wow, like, pro snowboarder, like, you could actually get paid to do this and never have to work. And so that kind of ignited the fire and just everything just kind of steamrolled from there with the Avalanche team and going with those guys and doing, you know, demos and all kinds of stuff that we did those first couple of years. And eventually... After riding for, for Avalanche for three, I think I rode for them for three years, Fall Line Film started doing Kudo Condition and Riders on the Storm, and things were starting to happen more in the industry. And I kind of told Avalanche, I'm like, hey, this is like, when do I get to get paid? And they said, well, if you do good this year, we're going to pay you. And so I did really good that year, and I think that was the year that I got. I'm trying to think of the last year I was on an Avalanche board. But anyways, I got, I got, I got a, bunch of, you know, a bunch of magazines, and I got like some video parts. And then I approached Avalanche and said, okay, well, I did my job. How much do I get to get paid now? And they said, well, we still don't have the money. So I'm like, well, do you mind if I look around? And they said, no problem. And then I uh, talked to John Spazetto, a photographer. He's all, yeah, you ought to call Burton. You know, they might be into it. And I called Burton, and just they were just totally stoked. Like within one five-minute conversation on Burton, I was, I was on Burton. And then I had to pay my dues at Burton again and ride another year on no salary. And they kind of said the same thing Avalanche said. They said, yeah, if you, if you get into some videos and you get some, some stuff in magazines, we'll think about it. And then I, so I had another good year, and I think that was the year Riders on the Storm came out. I had a video part, got some ad coverage, and then that was boom. Then that was, the rest was history. I started getting salary and travel budgets and just started, you know, started living the dream to get, get paid to snowboard. Those first couple years with Avalanche, Mike didn't really have anything to do with pro snowboarding or photography or anything. He was out and living in Breckenridge, and I said, dude, snowboarding's so sick, we got to get into this. And so that first year with Avalanche, I took a trip out there, and we started riding together just for fun. And he had just gotten out of school, and he, had a, he was studying, mainly doing still photography. So he started taking his camera up on the hill, and he was submitting you know, instantly submitting stuff to um, Snowboard Magazine, The Snowboarder, and so and he did really well, and he got started getting stuff published instantly. And then I think it was maybe the year after that, he started thinking about doing cinematography, and he got a job uh, running a camera for um, Fall Line Films, and he shot for, um, uh, I think Believe Riders on the Storm was the first movie he shot for. Mike made a transition from, like, stills to cinematography and shooting for Fall Line Films, you know, starting out shooting me and Damien and Andy Hetzel and some of the early, early, this is before we had even thought about, you know, doing movies. I just think we were kind of, a lot of it was just being at the right place at the right time and being, you know, there was just not that many people doing it. So it was a lot easier to get into the industry at that point and break in and, and make a presence. Okay, that's another good question. It just, it just kind of made me remember that there was a little, uh, there was one little weird thing that happened. And so are you familiar with the movie Totally Bored with the Claymation and all that? So that was under a company called Fusion Films, and that was the same year, if I'm not mistaken, that was the same year that Falling Films made Critical Condition. So Mike and I started Fusion Films with this guy, Pat Solomon, and we filmed Parada and Farmer and a bunch of other people. And then meanwhile, me and Farmer and Parada were still filming with Critical Condition, so we kind of like were in both movies. And so we kind of rode for both movies. You know, we rode for both movies. We're like, no big deal, no, no, no competition. Let's just all have fun. 
we did fusion films, and Totally Bored came out great. It was a little goofy, whatever. But the movie just it just gained no traction as far as we thought. After we made that movie, we thought for sure we were going to be able to get sponsorship the next year and just start making movies, kind of like what we did with Standard. But for some reason, the movie just didn't get any traction. We couldn't get any sponsors to be stoked on us. And so basically, Fusion Films just fizzled within a year. That's when Mike did uh, Riders in the Storm. So he went back to Fall Line. He's like, well, dude, I need a job. So he just went back to running the camera for Fall Line. I went back to riding for Fall Line. And then and at that point, I was riding for Fall Line and Mac Dog. And I was kind of one of the few guys, I think one of the only guys who was actually doing like big mountain lines in Mac Dogs. He was just 100% freestyle. You know, he was all jibs. And, and that was like their one guy. And it's funny because I was even in like hard shell boots at that point still. I think my part in Pocahontas and maybe even the hard hunter and the homeless, I was still in hard shells at that point. I didn't transition out of hard shells till, till standard film. So it was funny because I was like the only big mountain rider in that movie that era and that and that's kind of what spawned it so at that point i was working with mac dog and fall line mike was working with fall line and i remember just it was the winter of it would have been 92 and i said i was sitting there one day i'm on mike you should you should team up with dogger dogger will film the freestyle we'll film the film extreme stuff with tom burt we'll get the big mountain riding covered they'll do the jibs we'll just make the ultimate all mountain movie let's just pool our resources and so literally just on that idea, we, I remember sitting there with this guy, Merrill Milner, and we just typed up one morning in Tahoe, we just typed up a little proposal, and we sent it to, and it basically just said that. It just said, we're going to get MacDog, this is our intentions. And we sent it out to, uh, funny enough, a lot of my sponsors, it was Wave Rave and Burton, and, and, and we sent it to those sponsors, and they just they, they dug it. They were like insane. We're on. So we got some money from Wave Rave, we got some money from Burton, and I think we generated $80,000, which was a pretty good budget for that time, but really small, obviously, you know, for a bigger production. But we, we did get $80,000, and with that $80,000, we bought, you know, we did film and transfers, and we paid for a little bit of snow, you know, a little bit of Hellion at the end of the year, and that was the year we made TB2, which was the very first standard films movie, and that was like, that was pretty huge. That was that people really liked it. Like, it went over huge in the industry. Like, everyone, not that Falling was doing a bad job, because I thought they actually were doing a really good job, but it was almost like the new blood in the scene, like Slaznik and Tom Burton, like all these guys kind of in one movie with all the big mountain riding mixed with, and, and at that point, too, the style and the riding had kind of, it had really improved a lot. People were like, it was getting close to kind of how it should be, so, so to speak. You know, it was, a, it was like, a lot of the goofiness was gone, and like the stances were getting kind of where they should be, and everything was getting like right, and so it all just kind of happened at once. And it just, I think, and then people, I mean, you had Terry at that point, and all these just incredible riders all in one video, and it just exploded. And the, the rest was history. I mean, it was for that from that point on, it was never a problem to get sponsors for the movies and and get all the top athletes and just do what we did with Standard Films. MacDog worked, worked with us for, for four years. We, we Actually, three. We did TB2, TB3, Coming Down the Mountain, and then we did TB4, Run to the Hills. And at that point, you know, MacDog was totally stoked. We, we were really happy with the product. But he, again, he just thought, you know, he was ready for, like, to maybe switch directions. and do, He wanted to do, like, an all-freestyle movie. So he decided to break away from Standard and do his own thing. But we still worked with him, and we still did the dual premieres and, and it was a great move for him. I mean, it, was, it worked out good for both of us. We there was at that point there was enough riders and enough sponsorship money, so there was room for both of us. And at that point, I kind of feel like we almost kind of between us and MacDog, we kind of dominated the market. And sadly, 
we, we, we actually put, you know, we kind of put fall line out of business, which, you know, I, I feel bad about, but they literally like, I mean, we, we took all the riders, we took all the sponsorship money. And then, and at that point it was almost like what happened with with, with fusion films. No one wanted to sponsor anymore. And without sponsorship money, you just can't make a movie. It's just not happening. Some of the early guys, I mean, I, 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 I um, you know, Terrier was always just a huge standout to me. Filming with him was always just incredible. Noah always had great parts. Johan, of course, he although it was short lived, he's his one saggy T before was pretty legendary. Tom Burt to me kind of always had a really good way of just putting down just beautiful big mountain riding and had a really good attack and a great technique. And he, I think he came away with some of the coolest looking, you know, big mountain segments of that era. And then later on, you know, Kevin was, you know, of course he was, he was one of the better all around riders as far as like the first 10 movies. And it just, you know, new riders kept filtering in every year and every year until, you know, one person would retire and a new guy would come in. And So with companies sponsoring the movies, there must have been times you were asked to film with riders who just weren't up to the task, eh? Yeah, yeah, no, that happened all the time. And I mean, I obviously won't mention any names. And it's funny because, like, it's to be to come across on film and to look on film is totally different than, what I mean, obviously way different than stills because you can just cheat stills and anyone can pose a shot you have to stick it on film I mean, you pretty much have to like you have to come into the line fluidly or the jump whatever you're gonna hit and you have to stomp the line in the line or it's not a keeper so we had a lot of guys that were like maybe good at the still realm but they couldn't really put it together filming because they could never they could never have the consistency of landing so that was that was definitely a factor or guys were maybe too one-sided like they were great in the pipe and then they just you bring them in the backcountry and they couldn't land backcountry kickers or Oh, it's, it's funny. So a lot of guys, like I said, I won't mention any names, great riders. They're great friends. I loved working with them, but they just were never able to, even though I snowboarded with them and I was, and I, I free rode, free rode with them at squaw. And I'm like, man, this guy's a great rider. And this is fun riding with him. He's got, he's shredding, but for some reason you could just never put it down on film. And then there was other guys, which I will mention names because they, what they did, how fast they turned around was UC. And Roman DeMarchi, the first two, the first year we filmed with those guys, they they could not send it at all. Like UC was just like, I could see the potential. He was going so huge, but he literally did not land for a year. And I was just speechless. I'm like, this guy might not never put it together. And now look, I mean, he, he ended up being one of the best riders ever in and filming. I mean, he, he laid down some of the best segments, some of the best tricks that anyone's ever done. It's just it's funny how to you know to see to, you know so some riders were actually able to come out see their failures see themselves on film and actually almost grow from it and and then and then fit the part whereas other guys just couldn't quite do it who were maybe even better than other guys that could but they could just like somehow put the film you know put it together and get a seggy you know because they could land and they could whatever <laughs> who knows so when did you start like filming for standard films well right right around TV four. So I, I did three movies with Standard with my brother, and then before that was the Mac Dog and Fall Line and all the previous Avalanche stuff and Stills, and you know, kind of slowly working my way up into movie parts. So I did, you know, I worked with Mac Dog and Fall Line for two or three years, and I did three years of Standard, and then right around TV four was when I started transitioning into just being a cameraman, and I had I had small parts in like five and six and just little cameos, but I was never going for a full part at that point. I knew, I knew, I was like, okay, I'm getting older, I'm, I hit my peak, I'm totally stoked to get behind the camera now. And uh, in, in TB4, I did, I did actually break my, I hit a tree and broke my femur. And so I spent a whole season on the couch, and that was kind of an eye-opener. That, that, that injury was kind of a, 
kind of a career ender in a way because it took me it really it took me like two years two full years to come back and by then and I was already kind of demotivated anyways and kind of more so to get behind the camera anyways by TB6 I was just pretty much just full time cameraman for standard and TB4 Run to the Hills was the first year that we ever actually used snowmobiles to film and ride snowboards they bought a couple sleds and they had them here in Tahoe, and we kind of ended up with them somehow through, I think we were filming with, like, Rocket and, and maybe Dale Rayberg and whoever we were filming with. And so we had the ride sleds, and that was the year that we first started putting cameras and snowboarding together and, you know, and, and snowmobiles and getting it done that way. That was just a completely new realm, being able to go out on sleds and get footage. All of a sudden, we were able to go deeper and further and, and do, you know, all kinds of terrain that we had never even seen yet. You know, it's, you pretty much have to have an Arley sled to, be filming nowadays and the cool thing now is now that i'm not filming that much anymore i still have my sled and all my gear so i just go out and use it to go free ride <laughs> yeah it's super fun i'm actually going out with uh rylan bell tomorrow who's a rad up-and-coming rider who's been filming with jeremy a lot in the deeper and further movies and uh he's kind of a tahoe guy now and we're just going to go out and split board and have fun tomorrow and it's just it's cool now and we, we've, we've all got sled so now we're going to do a lot of like sled slash split missions where you you know sled out as far as we can and then then split board from there and I just it's funny because I all those years of working, especially when I was a cameraman, I just remember thinking to myself, God, I can't wait till this is all over and I can just like strap my board on to just go ride for fun like I used to when I learned. It's not that it wasn't fun and not that I didn't enjoy the ride and appreciate every moment, but it was it was just look just wanting just that, that the pure feeling of just riding powder was just I couldn't I couldn't resist. It must have been tempting in the early days to put like your buddies in the films, eh? I mean, we did a little bit of that. I mean, there's definitely a few little friend cameos here and there, and there was there was definitely room for that almost at that point because the the rider pool was so small. There just wasn't that much talent out there. There was a fair amount of it, but you knew like every good rider, you could name them all, no problem. So yeah, we did a little bit of that, and but none of them really blossomed like the true, you know, the, the true masters. Exactly, and it's riders like that that just have that that such clean style. And like you said, they're a little bit different, and it's you almost don't get an appreciation for it until you actually ride with someone like that, like Jamie or Noah, and you actually follow them down the mountain. Terry, I, mean, I can just think of so many guys that I got the privilege to follow over the years, and all those guys would be here, and we'd all be riding and filming, and we would just go to Squaw on powder days and ride while we were waiting for the skies to open up so we could film. And yeah, I just remember following so many of those guys and being so blown away. Yeah, it's pretty. I remember uh, Alex Warburton, you, you, know, you know who he is, I'm sure. He uh, he was one of the guys, first guys in Canada that really blew me away. I remember one of the first times I went to Whistler and riding with him and Schwartz and Johnson and Dano Pendergrass and Gary and all all the kind of the Whistler guys. And the, and, and Dano had told me he's like he's all Alex is the best. Alex is the best. He's like the man on the mountain. And, I, and when I first rode with him, I was like, wow, that you know, it was just incredible. That just every little every little jib, every little wall hit, every just. It didn't matter whether he was like six inches off the ground or, or 10 feet doing something huge off a big cliff or a line or some little jib. Everything was just so fluid and so perfect. And you know, then again, like you said, Jamie Lynn, Noah, it's that same kind of people that Andy Hetzel is, you, you know, riding, taking runs with that guy will blow your mind. I mean, just what he can do, Temple Cummings, just, they can just make the stupidest, smallest stuff so clean and so perfect. These days, Dave is focused on his family. Yeah, I've got a, I've got two girls. My Mary Jane's thirteen, and my other daughter Rowan's ten, and Mike's got two daughters as well, about uh, similar ages. And um, uh, see, so Tiana's 
11, and he's actually got kind of a newborn. He's about a year old, so he's he's re- restarting right now with a super young one. I have a little portfolio of all my old uh, snowboard shots from the magazines put in a portfolio, so they've they've seen that, and they've seen actually some of my movie parts from TV2 and 3 and 4. And so, yeah, they've, they've, they've got a little bit of an idea. Um, they're, yeah, there's Mary Jane's really into skiing and then Rowan's just getting into snowboarding, but they're both, they're both actually really into dance is their favorite thing to do. And they're, uh, they're like super good at it. And that's an amazing sport in itself that I had no clue was so athletic and gnarly until I watched them do it. That they're, you know, you, you grow up and then you, you do what you're going to do. And then at one point you just like, you know, having kids sounds great. And then you, you go through that whole experience of raising children and it's, yeah, it's definitely like equally as rad or rad than anything I ever did on a snowboard, that's for sure. Exactly. It, it definitely puts a lot of perspective in life, and it, uh, I think it mellows you out a lot, and it makes you reflect on a, on things. And So Standard Films stopped doing movies about three years ago. You know, I, I stopped working with Mike for the most part after the first ten movies, so I was you know very involved for the first four movies, and then up until TB10, from you know, TB4 to 10, I was basically the cinematographer and helping edit and doing a bunch of stuff. And then, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, I just kind of slowly started doing less and less and less. And I just finally retired from Standard Films after our tenth movie. And then Mike did ten more with various people, got to 20 movies. And then right after 20, he pretty much threw the towel in, which was a few years ago, just because it was getting to be sadly just not profitable enough with, with YouTube and file sharing. The DVD sales, you can't really recoup the cost. You can't you can't make money really anymore doing it, enough money to, to justify it. Exactly. So now it's just all file sharing and uplay. There's, there's just, it's just the whole industry has gone a totally different way. And the, the whole thing of having like a, a full-length snowboard movie that you wait all year to come out and then you pay 30 bucks and buy it. That just doesn't even happen anymore. They, you know, that, that whole business model is basically dissolved for the most part. Mike and you know, Mac Dog too, I mean, they just knew when to stop, when it just didn't make financial sense anymore. And plus, after 20 years of doing it, you're kind of like ready for a change anyway. So the cool thing is, is Mike's able to use his skills that he learned from Standard, and now he's taken it to a different realm, and there's still plenty of work for him, so he's happy there. Um, I've kind of transitioned into um, authoring climbing guidebooks. So I, um, I just finished my third book, and it's all about Tahoe bouldering in Lake Tahoe. So it's just a rock climbing guides to bouldering in Lake Tahoe. And I just did that for the past five years, and that's going super well. And so I'm going to actually continue to do that. And um, I just got another job doing a, a book for someone else, like a total side job of kind of basically just doing graphic design and layout for other book authors. And it's all climbing guidebook oriented. Ryle and I are talking about coming up sometime in February just for just kind of watch the watch the weather and wait till you guys have plenty of days. And then when it looks when it looks like you guys got a bunch of storms in the window and they're not going to be too warm, we're going to hop on a plane and fire up there and ride the mountain for a couple of days. I told Dave how Whistler Blackcomb has gotten busier and more expensive over the years, but Mount Baker's still pretty manageable. Wow, I mean, you you make me want to go to Baker now instead. Go go hang out with Tex and go ride Baker. <laughs> Yeah, it's weird too because you think it like it's not just the lift lines when a mountain gets really crowded like that. You you just when you ride, you you can't even hit the hits. You can't hit the jumps because every time you go to like you're on a cat run, you know, and you want to hit a certain jib or a little wall hit, and you just you can't because there's somebody in your way. Oh, there's somebody. I'm gonna I'm gonna run that kid over on my landing and blah blah blah. And you just and it's funny even at Squaw like when it gets really crowded at Squaw and West Face, even just riding the mountain like the steeps. I'll be blazing down West Face, just making big turns, and all of a sudden I'm I'm looking over my shoulder because I can see the guy on my right and the guy on my left, and we're all kind of going the same speed. And are we going to converge into each other? Are we going to collide at 40 miles an hour? Like Jesus, you know, it's just 
just so many there's just too many people like on the mountain charging simultaneously and it's it's not just snowboarding it's surfing it's climbing there's so many there's a really famous surf breakdown in Costa Rica called Pavones, and my friend used to tell me, he's like, he's all, Dave, it's, it's not the matter whether you get a wave or not. So when you get a wave, when it's really crowded, there's so many people in the water that you literally, all you do is you just sit there and slalom through the people, and, you, and it just fucks your lineup because you want to you wanna do what you want to do in the wave, but you can't because you're, oh, I have to bottom turn around this guy, then i got to miss this guy, and I can't hit the lift here because now that guy's there. And you just dodge people the whole way down the line because there's just... 50 people on the inside getting creamed by the set that you're trying to ride. I mean, you do get waves where there's no one in your way, but yeah, you just get too many people in the water, too many people on the mountain. We have our little moments here too in Tahoe where, you know, like today, it was really, the last couple of days of Squaw were super uncrowded. For some reason, the week the week before Christmas is just never crowded here. We do have a vast backcountry here, like a lot of opportunities between sledding and hiking, so there's, there's the places where everyone goes and you're going to see a bunch of cars in the parking lot, but then there's a lot of places where just nobody goes. Yeah, you can always get that. You can always get away. Like, where are we going to go tomorrow? We're not going to see any people. That was the whole reason of where we picked to go. We're like, I want to go on my slipboard. I don't want to see any cars in the parking lot. Where can we go? That was our main goal. <laughs> now it's like, you know, 15 film crews in the backcountry, like every power storm, and then there's all the people just wanting to ride for fun. It is. Okay. Okay. It was so rad to talk to Dave Hatchett. Thank you so much, man. And also, Dave sent us music from his band Fortress, which you can hear in the background here. They've been together since 89, and you can check them out on YouTube or on Facebook. Thanks again, Dave. Oh, man. I took my two kids for their first real pow day last weekend, and I'm not sure who was more stoked, me or them. I can't tell you how amazing it is to watch your kids charge turns and pow. Rad's first live show will take place at the Chair 9 Pub, thanks to Mike Ranquit and Chair 9 owner Peter Cook. The show starts at 3 p.m. Friday, February 19th. Guests to be announced, but believe me, if you're in the area for the Legendary Bank Slalom, you're going to want to come to the show. Rad's Snowboarding Podcast is brought to you by BR Productions.